the encryption debate with a British accent, and a preview of ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in San Francisco. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. There should be no place for terrorists to hide. We need to make sure that organizations like WhatsApp, and there are plenty of others like that, don't provide a secret place for terrorists to communicate with each other. That's Britain's Home Secretary Amber Rudd speaking on the BBC. Rudd took to the airwaves this weekend following the March 22nd terrorist attack in London, in which accused attacker Khalid Massoud ramming his car into pedestrians, killing three, and then fatally stabbing a police officer guarding Parliament before being shot to death by police. Data Breach Today editor Matt Schwartz has been following the cybersecurity implications of this story, and he joins me. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. What's Rudd's message here? I see the message as one of deflection. There's been a major domestic terror attack in the United Kingdom, and the Home Secretary, who's the principal official responsible for internal security, has gone on television and implied that end-to-end encryption is somehow tied to these attacks. And the apparent inability of the law enforcement agencies or intelligence services to spot the attacks before they unfolded. Did Masood use WhatsApp? That's not clear. Rudd was speaking about WhatsApp and appeared to refer to him having sent a message using it before his attacks. And that's also been reported by British media. But the Home Office has since come out and said that Rudd's comments were taken out of context. She was referring, they said, to terrorists using WhatsApp and the need to prevent terrorists from using WhatsApp. But she apparently didn't state that he had used WhatsApp to help with the attacks. She implied it, but there's been no evidence provided to back up that implication. It used to be that people would steam open envelopes uh, or just uh, listen in on phones when they wanted to find out what people were doing legally through warranty. But on this situation, we need to make sure that our intelligence services have the ability to get into situations like encrypted WhatsApp. This is reminiscent of the FBI seeking Apple's help to bypass the encryption on the phone of the San Bernardino shooter in December 2015. Without a doubt, Rudd is the latest in a long line of politicians in Britain, as well as in the United States, who have been accused of using tragedies to push for weak encryption. And we saw this indeed after the San Bernardino shootings in the Apple versus FBI case, when the FBI said, Apple, you need to install this weak version of your operating system that you're going to develop. And Apple's Tim Cook came back and said, no way. Matt, I'd like you to listen and respond to this Rudd comment. But if I was talking to Tim Cook, I would say to him, this is something completely different. We're not saying open up. We don't want to go into the cloud. We don't want to do all sorts of things like that. But we do want them to recognize that they have a responsibility to engage with government, to engage with law enforcement agencies when there is a terrorist situation. We would do it all through the carefully thought through, legally covered arrangements. But they cannot get away with saying we are a different situation. They are not. Rudd is talking about having a dialogue with Tim Cook and other technology vendors. What would come out of that dialogue? I think this is political posturing. Rudd, in the various interviews that she gave over the weekend, said that she plans to give social networking companies a stern talking to. Now, that to me doesn't sound like someone who's coming at this debate or discussion with a high degree of technical knowledge. And indeed, it's not clear that she knows what she's talking about when it comes to crypto. In one of her interviews, she was saying that she wants the experts who know about this stuff to come up with better solutions, alluding to what she called magic hashtags as being critical for helping solve not only the need to intercept attackers' communications, but to also prevent the radicalization of people online via 
via social networks, which she also, again, implied had happened in the Westminster attack, but didn't offer any evidence to back up that assertion. It seems to be a convenient scapegoat for politicians who may not want to be answering questions about how these attacks happened on their watch. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. Google is running out of patience with Symantec's digital certificate business, and the technology giant is laying out a plan that over time will have Google's Chrome browser reject all of Symantec's existing digital certificates. ISMG security and technology editor Jeremy Kirk explains. Google alleges that Symantec has issued 30,000 digital certificates improperly, undermining the safety of its users. It claims that Symantec hasn't properly verified those obtaining the certificates. The move holds vast and possibly costly implications for Symantec, as well as those who have bought certificates. It means either new ones would have to be purchased from other suppliers, or Symantec would have to issue replacements. It's a big deal for organizations and businesses due to the security implications. Digital certificates, also referred to as SSL or TLS certificates, are a cornerstone of internet security. They're used to encrypt data traffic and also to verify the owner or operator of a domain name. Semantic is contesting Google's claims. It says that Google's views are irresponsible, exaggerated, and misleading. Organizations that issue digital certificates are known as Certificate Authorities, or CAs. Web browsers trust these certificates, showing a green padlock, or HTTPS, in the URL window. But some CAs have lost their trusted statuses due to abuses of their systems or lax security practices. Hackers have often tried to obtain digital certificates for domains they do not own. If an unauthorized certificate is obtained, it would be possible to intercept and decrypt traffic as part of a man-in-the-middle attack. Semantics stresses that it follows industry security standards, but its reassurances may be coming too late. Because invalidating all of Semantics certificates at once would be too disruptive, Google is planning a phased rejection of all of the company's certificates. Starting with Chrome version 59, the browser will begin rejecting certificates with validity periods that exceed Google's maximum allowed. New certificates will have to comply with the CAB forum's baseline requirements. Even those new ones will only be trusted by Chrome for nine months until all the older ones are retired. Google's plan is likely to create a lot of headaches. The company acknowledges that distrusting the CA is disruptive, particularly for those organizations using certificates in older devices. But it maintains that it's necessary to maintain trust in the digital certificate system. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit is being held this week in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my colleague, ISMG Senior Vice President and Editorial Director Tom Field, to discuss the event's highlights. Hi, Tom. Eric, how are you? I'm doing fine. There is a large number of leading fraud and cybersecurity practitioners and policymakers presenting at the summit. Who's keynoting? We've got a couple of strong keynotes. First is Bryce Austin. He's the chief information security manager and former program manager and technology lead for Target. Bryce is going to be talking about the Target breach, which of course resulted in the exposure of I think 40 million payment cards and personally identifiable information and has become sort of the poster child of big retail breaches. And he's going to discuss lessons learned from those and why mega breaches matter. Second keynote will be Kim Zetter, 
former senior writer with Wired, who is going to be talking about the topic of her book, which is Stuxnet and Beyond, Digital Weapons in the Future of Our Cities, which really is the history of the Stuxnet zero-day exploit that, of course, was most prominent back in 2010, 2011. She's going to talk about zero-day attacks and what we can learn from them and how we need to prepare ourselves. Two very different presentations, but will be extremely relevant to the fraud and, and breach and security professionals that we bring to this event. What are some of the other topics in which experts will present? We've got some excellent topics here, everything from privilege access management to the insider threat, and to, of course, we've got representatives from law enforcement coming to talk about breach investigations and how private sector organizations can work better with the law enforcement and public sector to investigate attacks. One of our presenters is from the San Francisco office of the FBI, M.K. Palmore, and he is someone that we have spoken with for a number of years now about how his office investigates cyber attacks, cyber incidents, and how businesses can work better with law enforcement in the event of a breach and even to prepare for a breach. You want to develop a relationship with us prior to that big incident happening. We would like for our first contact with the companies not to be on the Friday afternoon when the general counsel and the CISO and the coup are standing around a speakerphone. We'd rather have a casual conversation about what we're seeing on the cyber threat landscape, offer some advice as to how they might better position themselves, and then open up a uh, open dialogue and exchange of information so that our relationships at least, while they may not be mature, they at least exist before sure. something bad happens. I see on the agenda one of my favorite sources, insider threat expert Randy Trezak of Carnegie Mellon CERT. Yeah, Randy Trezak has been at our events for a number of years now talking about the insider threat, and it's interesting how that discussion has evolved. Increasingly, his office at Carnegie Mellon University's Software Engineering Institute is doing more work with public and private entities to stand up insider threat detection and response programs, and that'll be a big part of what he talks about. Really what we want to be able to do is to have that defense in-depth strategy of vetting and verifying people to determine trust, granting authorized access, and then the verification is a number of things that could happen when someone threatens the critical asset and the asset could be classified information. Well, sounds like a great program, Tom. You know, it's our first U.S. summit of the year. We're kicking off here in San Francisco in March, and there are many more to come. Looking forward to it and looking forward to seeing you at our event in Washington, D.C., Eric. Okay, I'm looking forward to it, too. Enjoy yourself in San Francisco. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. Finally, the U.S. Senate, along party lines, approved legislation that would strip Obama-era regulations aimed at strengthening consumers' online privacy have yet to take effect. The Federal Communications Commission approved the regulation last fall and would have required Internet service providers to first get customers' permission to use the personal information before the data are sold to advertisers. The current practice allows ISPs to use the information unless consumers specifically opt out. In lobbying Congress to rescind the regulation, ISPs say it's unfair because web companies such as Facebook and Google would not be affected by the new rule. The bill's sponsor, Republican Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, contends eliminating the rule won't hurt consumers because they can still opt out of releasing their private information. But privacy advocates say Flake's legislation would do just the opposite by making the selling of data the default setting that benefits the bottom line of ISPs while hurting customers who don't know they could opt out. To eliminate the new rule, the House needs to approve and President Donald Trump sign the Senate measure. Such approval is expected. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Music